Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Well, like many of you, that's pretty much exactly how I feel the morning after whatever that was last night that passed for an Oscar telecast. I wasn't even planning on doing an Oscar recap this year, to be honest with you. Uh, I was on the record last year. I thought that Soderbergh's attempt at reinvigorating and visualizing the Academy Awards was actually really, really well done. But of course, it was also the lowest rated Oscars in history. Last night, I guess ABC and executive producer Will Packer can feel good about themselves because the morning after last night's Oscars were the second lowest rated Oscars of all time. So that is an improvement. Although, boy, for all the win that you could have taken away from that slight uptick in ratings, unfortunately, there's only one thing this telecast is ever going to be remembered for. And that thing is going to be a negative thing. And that's, of course, the slap. We'll get there. Um, I wanted to run through a few things that I thought worked and didn't work from the telecast last night. Uh, we've had this conversation many times in the past. I'm on the record saying I don't even think there should be a telecast for the Oscars anymore. I think that if you want to call it franchise fatigue, go ahead. But we don't need this telecast. This telecast needs to go away. And maybe in five or six years, when we are all kind of nostalgic for it, perhaps ready to see these types of celebrity speeches again, and when the show has had a chance to modernize and professionalize its response to our times, we can have the privilege of enjoying an Oscar telecast again. But really, this is just such a dying, dying animal that needs to be put out of its misery. Last night was a, a nadir for the telecast, a new low, and ABC, which pays $100 million plus for the right, quote unquote, to broadcast this telecast every year is going to really have to think long and hard. Or maybe they won't. It's actually a pretty easy decision. Uh, even with the numbers going slightly up, they're nowhere near justifying the expense uh, that ABC is putting forth. So I think later in the afternoon today, um, they said the Oscars were estimated to have 15.4 million viewers. You know, not that long ago, the Oscars were watched by a global audience of hundreds of millions of people. And that is just no longer the case. And really, the reason for that is not just the things that are out of ABC's control and not just the things that are out of AMPAS, the American Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It's not just things that are out of their control. There are things that are out of their control, but there's a lot of things that are in their control. And for various reasons, which we can briefly discuss, they refuse to change the things that are in their control. You know, what's the old uh, recovery serenity prayer? Um, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, ABC and Ampass do not have the wisdom to know the difference. They need to get some serenity and some clarity. And hopefully, last night was a collective hitting bottom for quote-unquote Hollywood as represented by this award show, because as I've said before, this is not the movie business. This is not what we love about cinema and actors and streaming shows. If you're listening to this podcast, you're not someone who really puts any stock whatsoever into the value of an Academy Award. You may be aware of its value to an actor, 
in terms of credibility or prestige or financial realities, although I think those are all dwindling, frankly. And I think after last night, there's going to have to be some soul searching. But we say that every year and there never is. So I'm not sure what we'll get. Anyway, let's talk about a little bit of the things that did work in Will Packer's reimagining of the telecast. You know, he took a lot of heat for the decision, which I'm not sure was a Will Packer decision, to uh, cut out some of the awards being handed out in real time in the telecast and instead give those out earlier and then edit in some of those awards and speeches so that you basically avoid all of the time it takes for, you know, the best documentary short uh, recipient to walk from the top of the auditorium all the way to the stage and fumble in their pocket for their speech and begin to read it out. And so they, they, they gave those awards out. Those people had that moment, but then they were kind of streamlined and edited and then cut into uh, the telecast. And I actually think that's an idea that if we are going to do this telecast ever again, and again, I beg you, don't do it. Please don't do it for five years and then let's reassess. But if you're going to do it, that's an innovation I think they should keep. I think that makes sense. And I think it should allow room, although it didn't last night, it should eventually allow room for the telecast to shrink down to a more manageable size. It was still three and a half hours. So the intent to cut down the show or keep it within a three hour window, which is already too long, that didn't work, even though we gave out all of those awards at a different time, which by the way, pisses off those members of the Academy that pay their dues just like everyone else and expect that their crafts work, their craftsmanship will be rewarded the same way an actor or a director uh, is going to be rewarded. So that's part of the problem that hamstrings the telecast, as I've noted before. You can't just do what you want. You can't just draw this up. Uh, well, I mean, you can, but they won't. One could sit down and draw up a new award show that makes sense, that's called the Oscars, and gives out awards that more appropriately represent what and how people watch. But they won't because it's a very old hamstrung organization which uh, can't find its way out of this paper bag. There's an opportunity for the Golden Globes to reemerge, reinvent itself, and like Fox in Harry Potter arising from the ashes, could learn to fly again in a new and profound way that really has the chance to steal the Oscar thunder for the next conceivable decade or two, if they did it right. And it really shouldn't be that hard for them to figure out. So I think that that device of kind of, let's give some awards out earlier and let's cut those things in in a more streamlined fashion, I think that worked. But unfortunately, there was no other innovation in the telecast that really contributed anything of value. Obviously, the biggest thing, the only thing anyone will ever talk about forever is the slap, as will we. But part of the problem that they've had here is that there has never been a wider gulf between, uh, let's just say, the top 10 or 15 highest grossing films of a calendar year, in this case, 2021, and the films that are rewarded at the Oscars. I think that going back uh, decades, you know, the gulf between those two things may have existed, but it was never as extreme as it is now. 
you know, now we live in an era of global cinema, and that means that a lot of the films that travel really well and therefore make a lot of the money are superhero movies, comic book movies, action films. So if you look at the top 10 films in 2021, they are Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Black Widow, Fast and Furious 9, Eternals, No Time to Die, James Bond movie, A Quiet Place 2, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, and Free Guy. Dune is number 13, and Canto is number 15. Again, this is just in calendar year 2021, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about the Academy Awards. Now, the films that were awarded Oscars last night were Dune, Coda, Eyes of Tammy Faye, Belfast, Cruella, Drive My Car, Encanto, King Richard, The Long Goodbye, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, The Queen of Basketball, Summer of Soul, West Side Story, and The Windshield Wiper. So you'll notice that there's only two, well, there's only one film in the top 10 um, that won any Academy Awards, and that is No Time to Die, a James Bond film, which won a technical award. And there are only two films in the top 15, in Canto and No Time to Die, which received awards. Now, again, box office is not an indication of quality, but... The problem the Academy Awards is having is that what we're all watching is not what the Academy is rewarding. And I'm not saying that these are pop, these need to be popularity-based awards because I don't think that's the spirit or the intent. However, when what we're all really watching is everything that's streaming on Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus and all of these places, um, and you do have crossover because, let's face it, you know, last night, uh, the Best Picture winner is an Apple Plus product, Coda, right? Which they released in theaters, I guess, long enough to qualify for the Academy Awards. But that's a streaming content property. And if you look at what, I what the top 10 streamed shows were in 2020, 21, again, the same period, there are things like Lucifer, Squid Game, Virgin River, Bridgerton, You, Cobra Kai, The Crown, Longmire, The Handmaid's Tale, Ted Lasso, Maid, WandaVision, okay? Now, are those programs more or less arresting, visually interesting, creatively produced and put together? Do they feature more nuanced and interesting acting performances than perhaps the films that are nominated for the Academy Awards? I think it's an interesting debate to have. Let me put it that way. But clearly the world has shifted, the world has changed, and the Academy Awards is honoring something that it gives itself the right to reward regardless of whether anyone is actually watching or seeing these films. So let's take some box office Numbers from, again, just 2021. Now, films come out in 2021 in order to qualify for the Oscar period, and they typically come out in the fall. So there's a limited window. But I can tell you that in doing the research, these limited windows have not suddenly jumped 13 or 20-fold in the four or five or six months ensuing uh, since December 31st. So The Power of the Dog in 2021 was released on November 17th, and the worldwide box office is $257,000. 
So I think it's pretty safe to say no one saw The Power of the Dog in 2021. It's not a film that had a presence or a box office reach that would merit it being considered something of import. King Richard, controversial Will Smith Best Actor Award. Again, 2021 came out November 18th. Uh, worldwide box office, $38 million. I can guarantee you that is not a return on the investment that Warner Brothers must have made in putting this film together. I don't know how much Will Smith was paid, but I'm sure it was quite a bit. So $38 million, an Oscar campaign, uh, high-profile publicity and release. Um, did a lot of people see King Richard? No. Coda came out September 23rd, 2021. Worldwide box office, $1 million. Now, again, let's be clear. I am not equating box office with quality. What I'm saying is no one saw those films, relatively speaking. And there has to be some middle ground between what people actually watch and what is featured on the award show, if you want people to watch the awards show. And again, I don't personally put any value whatsoever on the Academy Awards. I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of any work. Is it interesting to watch people get awards? Maybe. Uh, do I personally think that these awards have any meaning or import? No. I mean, if anything, last night's telecast showed that the value of winning an Academy Award has never meant less. And the cynicism of the telecast itself did a disservice to the very deserving people that won awards whose experiences and noteworthy diversity and inclusion are completely not just overshadowed by the slap, but they're obviated by it. They are dwarfed by it. And, and that's the real shame. And that was in the control of ABC and the producers. And I think we'll talk about that in a minute. So there's a gulf ever increasing between what people are actually watching and seeing, where they're actually watching it and seeing it, and what the Academy is rewarding and saying are the big and important films. And I've talked about this ad infinitum here and on Twitter to say that what you're told is popular on Twitter is not what's actually popular. And that there is a business practice behind that. And there is a manipulation behind that. And if you participate in that, you are part of the problem. So we all need to look clearly at what is or isn't being widely seen. And then you can ask why, and you can say, this is unfair or that is unfair. This is an overlooked gem. All of that stuff is important. But again, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not a person who's getting your sense of what's worthy or valuable through any award shows, right? You're, you're, it's just not where I'm coming from. It's not where you're coming from if you like listening to, to my guests and myself prattle on about movies. So that gulf that has existed between the commerce and the creativity, the academy and the nomination process and the awards process itself is just further and further out of touch with what actual moviegoers are experiencing and watching. And for the reasons stated many, many times, the Academy cannot find its way to reorganize the show in a manner that would 
actually increase the size of the tent and allow more different types of films to be rewarded for their own creativity, including some of these blockbuster superhero films. Now, it didn't come out in 2021, but like The Batman is one of the more interesting superhero movies to come out in a long time. Spider-Man uh, is one of the more interesting superhero movies to come out in a long time. Are those films not worthy of consideration for screenplay or direction or whatever you want? I mean, why not, right? They don't have to win per se, but the Academy needs to figure out how to address this ever widening gulf. So that's one thing. Now, the other thing is that the telecast itself has become unchangeable. I mean, for all this talk, nothing was different. It's still three and a half hours long. We still have this interminable in memoriam section. I don't care how many choirs you bring on, how many times, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is standing there with a dog, like whatever weirdness is going on. It's still this thing that really doesn't need to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, I understand it. Great. We should all pay fealty and, and adoration and give a thought for those who are no longer with us, who contribute to the making of films. But is the telecast really the place where we need to do that and why? I mean, it just is not an important part of what the evening should be about, which in today's age should just be a loose, fun environment in which to see personalities and celebrities that we're interested in do funny and emotional and personal and self-revelatory things. Okay, let's talk about some of the other things that they tried on the telecast. There was this thing uh, that occurred, which is, I guess, reunions of Francis Ford Coppola, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro take the stage. And okay, but Pacino and De Niro never spoke. <laughs> and, and Coppola, I think, missed a great opportunity to uh, make a joke that in honor of the 60th anniversary, he famously, uh, still editing probably a version of Apocalypse Now, was going to be re-releasing yet another version of the Godfather saga. Uh, instead, it was kind of a deadly serious and uh, really unsentimental, bizarre moment that just read falsely. And then there were these other reunions. Uh, the 30th anniversary of White Men Can't Jump. Is that something to celebrate last night in the Oscars? Apparently so. Uh, the 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction. Okay, again which led to the presenting of Will Smith's Academy Award, which is just another completely bizarro moment, which we'll get to. And then the 15th anniversary of Juno. Okay, is that a movie that we that is being celebrated in its 15th anniversary? Or is that a cynical attempt on the behalf of the production to score points by featuring Elliot Page on stage, finding a reason to feature Elliot Page on stage. I'm not sure, but this concept of reuniting casts from, I guess, beloved films is again, something that I'm just not sure we need to make time for. And if we are gonna make time for it, then let's do it. Like, let's really do it. Here's the cast of White Men Can Jump. Uh, let me guess though. They're making a remake of White Men Can't Jump. I wonder if that is an ABC uh, property or a heavy advertiser on the Academy Awards property, a major studio property. I wonder if that's why we're seeing this stuff. Let's not forget, it is a business. 
another weird choice is not showing what one of the more viral moments on Twitter was, was when Samuel Jackson uh, is being given a Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> like, uh, who doesn't want to see that, right? I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, that's what the telecast needs more of. A, a guy like that who's a straight shooter. But we didn't get to see that. And, you know, okay, Elaine May, Liv Ullman, Danny Glover also awarded in this. But that seemed a little strange. That kind of seemed like you're not really understanding what people actually do want to see if you're not showing Samuel L. Jackson receiving his Lifetime Achievement Award. Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli? Oh, that was awkward. I mean, I hate to say it, but I think if you're in a wheelchair, you probably shouldn't be coming out onto the Academy Awards stage because I'm not really sure if that presents you in your best light at that point in your life. Not sure what we were honoring Liza Minnelli for, um, making this connective tissue between her and Lady Gaga, I guess. They're presenting Best Picture. I don't know why, but that was very awkward and uncomfortable. And as an audience member, I don't know. I just call me crazy. I don't like to be made to feel awkward and uncomfortable watching an award show. I like to be comfortable and loose and having fun. I don't want to feel bad for this person who is infirm and is not making sense. Uh, so that was a just glaringly awkward moment. I think having three hosts ultimately did not work, although I was grateful for Amy Schumer's presence as really the only person. Well, actually, I guess Sean Diddy Combs directly referenced the slap. Questlove made some type of reference to it, but very oblique. Um, I think Anthony Hopkins made some glancing reference. But Amy Schumer is the only person who attempted to even address it and I'm going to say head on, even though it wasn't really head on because she made a comment about, hey, I was just getting out of my Spider-Man suit. Did I miss anything? And that, that kind of let some air out of the room that needed to be let out of the room because the telecast, which had gone on for quite a few minutes by that point, by the way, after the slap, never, addrec never addressed this thing that we all just saw. It just went on as if it never happened. And, you know, for an industry that's suffered through things like Me Too, and Oscars So White, and other controversies of their own making as an exclusionary fiefdom of really rich white guys who don't want to share the wealth. I thought that was a particularly revelatory moment and one that should never be forgotten by people who want to glamorize the Oscars and this part of the movie business, because again, this is not quote unquote, the movie business. This is, there is no Hollywood in this regard. This is the Ampass. okay? This is the Academy and their award show, just like Hollywood Foreign Press gives out or gave out the Golden Globes before a scandal burned them to the ground, deservedly so, from which again, I think they can arise and reclaim some of this glory and snatch it from the Oscars if they want to. Uh, but I think, Last night probably was the burning down to the ground for the Oscars that it really needs. So Amy Schumer, a comedian, Wanda Sykes had some really good lines. I thought the Regina Hall single thing was really embarrassing for her. I think she's far too talented and accomplished a person to be used in that way. I thought that was just 
very cringe and completely unnecessary. After the slap happened, we really needed a skilled host of the sort we've had in the past, a comedian who can deftly say the things we are all thinking. It's such a fascinating thing that really only comedians are great at or gifted comic actors have been great at, like Billy Crystal uh, in the past. But, you know, there's a thing that happens uh, with a host of an award show, which is kind of fascinating, where there's kind of this subjective uh, or objective reality taking place, right? There's what's happening. And then there's kind of like what we all think about what's happening. And that's the place where the host can deftly come in and confirm what you're thinking, underscore what you're thinking but not saying. And in doing so, you can hear those types of laughs, right? Those are laughs where people are thankful that someone in a position of authority is acknowledging what they're experiencing kind of in their own head and wondering, am I crazy for thinking that this is really weird? And the deftly timed joke allows everyone to collectively come together after an awkward moment. And we didn't get that. I mean, instead, we got something so far removed from that, which was to pretend as if it never happened. And that's exactly the problem that Hollywood has dealt with in these previous scandals. That's exactly the problem. And so don't ever forget that what you saw last night is the problem with that part of the industry. So the slap. Um, now, you can subscribe to the notion that, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But again, for an industry that has still a tremendous amount of work to do in really not just paying lip service to its stated desire to address things like diversity and inclusion, but to really fundamentally alter the business landscape in such a manner to afford opportunity to all of the people it claims it wants to afford opportunities to. You had this bizarre moment last night where Will Smith, taking offense to an, uh, a dated, lame joke from Chris Rock that did not land however Chris Rock intended it, I don't, I don't know. G.I. Jane, I mean, God, has anyone thought of that movie in 25 years? I'm not sure. If I recall, G.I. Jane is a badass and someone you respect and admire. And Chris Rock's joke could have been structured more positively, like, hey, Hollywood producers, you got another badass right here. How about G.I. Jane 2? If he had done that joke that way, we wouldn't have had this issue. And perhaps the evening would have gone on and we would be talking, as we should, about actually inspiring Oscar wins, of which there were several, and actually historic Oscar wins, of which there were several. But instead, no one's going to talk about that. No one's going to remember any of those things because the producers and the network and the powers that be allowed what happened after the slap to happen, which was nothing. They decided to go forward as if nothing had happened. And so that means that let's just tick off a few. Ariana DeBose made history, uh, quoting from the Washington Post here, as the first Afro-Latina and first openly queer woman of color to get an acting Oscar. Uh, and also, I think she and Rita Moreno are either the only two actors to win Academy Awards for portraying the same role some 60 years apart. Uh, but that's a pretty big moment. 
right? Troy Kotzer becomes the first deaf man to win an acting Oscar. That's a pretty big deal. Jane Campion, Miss, Miss Slips and All, uh, she had the pre-Oscar stepping into it when she <laughs> said of the Williams sisters, um, you know, you guys have never had to deal with, with men the way I've had to, uh, which made it all the more awkward to see her last night and wonder how long it would take her to say something awkward, which she did in about six seconds. Granted, Kevin Costner came on and gave this very long-winded, bizarre, heartfelt pay-on to going to the movies, which he started out by saying when he went to his first adult movie, and that was a very awkward and long and, and, and rambling speech. And then Jane Campion came on and said, uh, that was dramatic, and there was kind of more awkward applause, and everyone just felt awkward. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to spend three and a half hours feeling awkward, Academy, okay? So anyway, Troy Kotzer, Ariana DeBose, Jane Campion, the woman who directed Coda. I mean, Questlove, right? Winning for that fantastic archival documentary who had to go on in the immediate aftermath of this bizarre event and really have his moment ruined. I mean, he did the best that he could, but I think everyone was just still in shock from what we had just witnessed. And it did not give him his moment the way it should have. And it's not what people are going to be talking about today. And these are all people who are part of what the Academy says it wants to honor. If you want to honor people like this, people who come from backgrounds that you don't traditionally honor with these awards, then protect them. It's your job to protect them on the stage. I mean, you should have protected Chris Rock by that token. And you didn't do that either. So not only did you not protect Chris Rock, not only did you not remove Will Smith from the auditorium after he attacked someone on the stage, but you also didn't protect these worthy Oscar winners and their night and their moment. And for that, you have to blame the producers and the network and the Academy of Motion Picture arts and sciences. Bottom line, they didn't do their job. So there were some extremely funny reactions and some extremely uh, on-point reactions on Twitter uh, that I wanted to just run a few through because I think a lot of these say and give voice to many of the collectively felt experiences that people had. So I'm going to run through a few of these. Uh, at, at Frank DiRuggerio tweeted that my theory is the Academy asked Will Smith to do what he did to pull focus from the glaring absence of Robert Duvall in the Godfather reunion. Yes, Frank. Uh, Frank was on the podcast doing our Jaws episode, which I highly recommend, and he's absolutely right. That's funny. Glenn Mazzara had a really on point set of three tweets, which I'm going to read here. His first one, quote, people breaking into Hollywood should study last night's Oscars to understand the entertainment industry. Glamour filled with cringeworthy weirdness, self-indulgence, sincere joy, real boredom, endless discussions about what's actually happening and what will happen next. The misogyny, cruelty, and rage seem to come out of nowhere, but as everyone knows, there's a history. Then we saw self-delusion, hypocrisy, and a complete lack of accountability for everyone involved. 
Next time you're buying into the narrative that you just need to work harder or show more passion, please remember Hollywood is and always has been psychotic. Spot on. At Laura Steele 64 cringe-worthy weirdness. That would be Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White doing the Bond 60 thing, right? I guess the Academy asked everyone else who worked on Bond movies and they were all busy on Sunday night because that had me scratching my head. Yeah, what was that? What did Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White have to do with James Bond? Bizarre. Let me guess. Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White all have existing or forthcoming business or shows on ABC. I wonder if that's more the truth. Uh, at J Quintana underscore junior tweeted, what's a shame is no one's going to remember the people who were there because of a genuine love of the art form. You could tell how much movies mean to the makers of Coda and Drive My Car. Yes. And you know what? Will Packer and the Academy, you have a right and a responsibility to protect those people and their moments, and you failed. <laughs> at Mark Harris, New York City, he's a guy who wrote a very good Mike Nichols book that's out right now, Falls Asleep wakes up screaming. They brought out De Niro and Pacino and didn't let them talk? Falls back asleep. Wakes up screaming. They gave Elaine May less time than Kelly Slater? Falls back asleep. Wakes up screaming. They played Africa when Daniel Kaluuya came out? I saw many people tweet about that. I don't know what that was about. Uh, that was pretty funny. Here's one from the Academy itself, at the Academy. The Academy does not condone violence of any form. Tonight, we are delighted to celebrate our 94th Academy Award winners who deserve this moment of recognition from their peers and movie lovers around the world. What? Excuse me. What the actual F are you tweeting? Are you serious? Yes, they do deserve this moment of recognition from their peers and movie lovers around the world. So why don't you protect them? So they could have had that moment. Okay. Now, you can tell me all you want, like, well, what are they supposed to do in real time? Well, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Will Smith attacked someone on stage. Will Smith needed to be removed from the auditorium. And when Will Smith won an Oscar, well, guess what? You don't get to accept your prize when you slap someone on stage. Sorry. Winning an Oscar is not your right. And your behavior took that right and privilege away from you. And in choosing to allow him to remain there, of course, they allowed the moment we all wanted to see. Don't get me wrong. Of course, I was salivating with anticipation that Will Smith was going to win Best Actor. And we were going to then see the most cringeworthy and awkward or potentially redemptive moment. Because I can tell you that in my head... Uh, which is what I usually like to do. What's the version of the, uh, the, the speech and the apology that you think they should say in order to kind of spin this thing back? Is there something that Will Smith could have said or done that would have allowed you to say, you know what? Wow, he really handled that well. I, I guess so. I think he could have. I think when he started to apologize to the Academy and to his fellow nominees, he could have, mm, I don't know, maybe thrown in Chris Rock, uh, maybe thrown in the other people's whose awards and nominations, his selfish and out of control actions robbed of their moment. He could have said, there's never been a more perfect representation of the fact that all of us here tonight are simply flawed human beings like the rest of us. And I profoundly apologize to everyone, first and foremost to Chris Rock, secondly to my wife and to my family and my children, thirdly to everyone here, Fourthly, to everyone in the academy and to the industry, uh, what I did was wrong. Violence is never the answer. And I, re 
I regret that my, uh, this night, this movie, and all the people that worked on this film, that their night is going to be overshadowed by a selfish action that I took. Even if he'd said that, it's still not enough. But the fact that he then got up there and said what he said, so tone deaf, so self-aggrandizing, so victimizing. I'm the victim. You don't know what I've had to put up with. I'm the protector. I mean, this part of the speech where you're like, he's the protector of these other actors in a fictional film? How do you have to protect them in a film environment that you're in control of? The whole thing is, a, is your project. So if you have to protect people on your set of your own project, maybe your own business practices are the ones that you should be looking at. I mean, I'm here, I have to protect Jada. I have to protect these two actresses who played Venus and Serena. This is, it's just this misogynistic bullshit, frankly, right? Self-serving, self-aggrandizing, and completely lacking in any awareness that we all would recognize as a human response to this, to this moment, this outburst which occurred. And then later to follow it up, and you see the photos of him at the Oscar party dancing along, singing to his own music, clutching his Oscar, surrounded by a coterie of sycophants who are all uh, just encircling and praising him. Yes, that's the gross side of this whole business. Then he had some weird takes. You know, Judd Apatow was <laughs> tweeting a bunch of things in real time. And I think he eventually deleted this one tweet but he kind of got roasted fairly for it because he said something like, he could have killed him, meaning Chris, like that Will Smith's slap could have killed Chris Rock. A, a bit over, uh, you know, indulgent, but uh, Nicki Minaj had this tweet. Imagine what it must feel like to be losing your hair to the point where you have to shave it bald. You think that's easy to deal with for anyone? You don't think she's cried about that many times? 2022, y'all gonna have to see these men about those jokes you made about their wives. Okay. At Seppenwall, Alan Seppenwall is a chief uh, TV critic from Rolling Stone and wrote the recent book about The Sopranos. He's tweeted, among the many terrible things about the incident, including the joke that led to it, is yet another extremely public case of a lack of accountability or shame. He wasn't asked to leave, got to give a long speech, went to parties afterwards like it hadn't happened, etc. Exactly. Exactly right. At Dear Drew Dixon tweeted, I hate that the Williams sisters caught strays at two different award shows where they hope to celebrate their father and their film. Yes, again, further tone deafness on Will Smith's part, okay? I mean, it was so awkward looking at the Williams sisters sitting there during his speech. They didn't know what to do. At Jim Norton, Jim Norton, very funny comedian. Will Smith attacked Chris Rock and then helped us all heal by explaining how tough God's plan for him is, yes, again. At Filmiliar Face. Anyway, Questlove won an Oscar tonight for a documentary about a moment that was once lost in time. He is an incredible historian, storyteller, and director, and I'm so happy he won. Yes, another person that uh, had their moment overshadowed. There's a comedian, Alex Edelman, at Alex Edelman, between that, meaning the slap, and Coda, huge night for talking with your hands. At Sam Morrill, that was the biggest hit Will Smith has been involved with since the 90s. <laughs> uh, even DJ Jazzy Jeff, 
Will Smith's partner, going all the way back to the early days in Philadelphia, in real time tweeted, what was that with four question marks? Even poor Jeff was just wondering what the hell was going on. At Ian Forty, God, imagine the sheer number of dumb articles we're going to have to wake up to tomorrow. Yes, that's coming. The think pieces are coming, everyone. At Nora Princiati, one of life's weirdest moods is, how do I go to bed after this internet thing? Yeah, I think we all felt that. I couldn't go to sleep. I mean, Twitter, it's like one of the few times Twitter has a useful purpose is just all of the comments, all of the jokes. At underscore Zietz, that's why he got sent to Bel Air in the first place. Shit like that. At Matt Oswald, VA, though, if you are going to assault someone and don't want anyone to witness, the Oscar telecast is probably the best place to do it. Ouch. Uh, Vernon Reed from In Living Color tweeted, will apologize to the Academy, but not to Chris Rock, the black man he put his hands on at the Oscars for telling a joke? Nah. And one of my personal favorites, Amanda Duarte at Duarte Amanda, masculinity is so stupid. So true. Only, only, only a man, right? And then Diedrich Bader, one of the funniest follows on, on Twitter, uh, at Bader underscore Diedrich tweeted, as a minor celebrity, I feel like I have 27 to 30 hours to do anything I want and no one will notice. <laughs> I loved that. That was funny. At David Ehrlich tweeted, fun fact, this is the very first time I'm hearing we don't talk about Bruno. Does it usually include a rap about Hollywood's biggest night? No, David, it doesn't. And thank you for bringing that up because however this happened, I guess the studios have to submit songs for nomination. And then of those nominated songs, the voters in the Academy decide which ones will be nominated. And I'm not sure how that process works, but I read something the other day that said that Disney did not submit. We don't talk about Bruno for Academy Award consideration. They submitted the other song uh, that was that was up from the movie, which didn't win. Now, of course, We Don't Talk About Bruno is a crossover hit. It's a musically fascinating, infectious pop culture phenomenon of the sort we haven't seen since Frozen. And the producers obviously knew they had to figure out a way to include this song. And so in what would have been an amazing moment, it would have been a straight performance of the song. We actually woke up our 10-year-old to come upstairs once we realized they were gonna perform We Don't Talk About Bruno because she's obsessed with the song. She knows every single word. And we knew she'd wanna see it. So we woke her up, we brought her upstairs, and what did they do? They performed, I think, the first two verses, and then they had like a rap come on that had Megan the Stallion doing a made-up verse all about the telecast and about the Oscars. And it just completely was way too much when a simple, straightforward, amazing, kick-ass performance of the song itself would have brought the house down. And guess what it would have done? It would have brought everyone together. Isn't that the idea? Or supposed to be the idea? Anyway, that was another really awkward moment. Uh, at Cooper Cooper Co. tweeted, Will Smith saying he wants to be a vessel for love 15 minutes after hitting a guy live on international TV and then getting a standing ovation is just an incredible summation of what Hollywood's all about. Well, like I said, no, in the sense that that's not what, when you say Hollywood, that's like, yes, I guess you could say there's a Hollywood in the collective universe of people involved in the making of filmed entertainment. 
fiction and nonfiction uh, and a studio system and all that stuff. It's, this is not Hollywood last night. It's a part of Hollywood. It's really the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, and it's the self-congratulatory arm of Hollywood. Uh, but it is part of what Hollywood has to answer for and previous scandals that, you know, Hollywood has covered up and allowed to happen and enabled until they were called out. And even then, you could argue, have things really changed? At Dave Itzkoff, the funniest person on Twitter, uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed the last Oscars ever. At Mike Ryan, next Oscars, they should let the fans vote on who gets punched. One of my favorites, uh, at The Law Boy, men will literally win an Oscar for best actor before going to therapy. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, at Nikki Glaser, and Nikki Glaser was so on point all night and continues today. She was on Howard Stern today. She's really exercised and angry about how gross this whole thing was. And I think she's completely right and spot on. She has a number of tweets that are worth going back and reading, but uh, she tweeted, the way everyone was on board at the end, gross, gross, gross. Yeah, I mean, it was gross. At Sam Weber, or Sam Weber, at Area Comedian. So they didn't get Zelensky, huh? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been the crowning glory if somehow they, they piped Zelensky in live just to... A lot of tweets like this at Brian Dunbar. Love will make you do crazy things is what violent abusers say. A lot of people had that take because one of Will's mea culpas was love will make you do crazy things. A lot of people on Twitter are saying abusers say that type of thing. At Oliver Jones, just a quick reminder that Vigo Mortensen does an amazing job playing a violent misogynist prick in G.I. Jane with a photo of Vigo. Pretty good one, Oliver. What else? Scrolling through. Anyway. Oh, at Nikki Glazer again. Open relationships seem healthy because I think Will and Jada have given us way more information than we really needed about their sex life, her entanglements. <laughs> at Gianmarco Sorisi. Hey, guys, I've decided to cancel my roast battle with Jada Pinkett Smith. And also, I want to put put paid to this, this rumor on Twitter. You know, a lot of people were tweeting the... Um, uh, Brando refusal to accept his Oscar by sending out Sachin Littlefeather. And, you know, the story was going around Twitter yesterday that John Wayne had to be held back by six security guards from running on stage and hitting uh, Sachin Littlefeather. I mean, that's such bullshit. Give me a break. That part did not happen. The interesting thing is if you actually listen to Sachin Littlefeather herself, Subsequent to that stunt, she felt abandoned by Marlon Brando, and she never worked again. Uh, so she paid the price for Brando's hubris, like so many others did. And yet he's being celebrated on Twitter as this you know, paragon of moral virtue, which if you read anything about Marlon Brando's life, you can appreciate his unfathomable skill as an actor, uh, but you can equally appreciate that he had virtually zero skill for normal human interaction or behavior other than screen acting and is not really the type of person you want to be celebrating on Twitter. Uh, but anyway, there you go. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it. Like I said, if you love film, you love cinema, you're not really watching these telecasts for this type of 
for this type of thing to tell you what's good and what's not good. None of us are. But it is an interesting side note to the industry and the business, and it's got to be corrected and fixed going forward. This has to be a new low. Uh, this is the bottom. You know, every uh, recovering person recognizes that when you have hit a bottom, you have a brief moment where the window is open and you can climb through that window and get some help if you really want it. But if you let time pass, your window closes and you start to rationalize and generalize. And I'm sure that's what will end up happening. So let's see where things go. But it's time to put the Oscars to rest. It's time to not have them for a minimum of five years. And it's time to wait until next week when I bring you yet another episode of the Full Cast and Crew podcast. Thank you very much for listening as ever. And we will talk soon. 